Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak your mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and their writing process is what I usually say, but as you may have noticed, this podcast has been very infrequent for the last while. Uh, the podcast is technically on hiatus still, but every so often, there comes a time where something is just so important that I can't not talk about it, and my go-to person to talk about these things is always Anthony Doyle, who joins me again, one of my fellow Raptors Republic writers. Um, how are you doing, Anthony? The Raptors are in the NBA Finals. I have a smile permanently planted on my face, it feels like, for about a week now. <laughs> I I just... This is incredible. I don't even know what to compare it to completely. Um, everything, being a Raptors fan for the last, you know, almost 25 years now, nothing has prepared me for this. Yeah. Um, me neither. I, I, uh, obviously I haven't been a Raptors fan quite as long because I haven't been alive as long. Um, I've actually never asked you this. Have you been a, you've been a Raptors fan since day one, right? Since, since day one. Yeah. You're making me feel old. Like minutes in. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, so I, that, that's a good place to start as any, just out of curiosity, like what, what does it mean to be like, to see this happen as a lifelong Raptors fan? Like you've seen it since day one. Like, obviously like I, I was just born. I don't remember what it was like seeing Damon Stoudemire drafted in his rookie year, you know, winning rookie of the year. And, um, just everything from that point to now the golden era of Raptors basketball. Like, what's that like? Like the the early years were really different because like up until Vince there was just kind of it, it at least for me because I was I was pretty young too there was just this sense of it was cool to have a team and mm-hmm. so for me there there was really no expectations there was just we had a team in in Canada that we were cheering for you know I resonated more with the Raptors than the Grizzlies at that point and. It was just the idea of cheering for a basketball team was something neat for me. And then Vince came and expectations came with all of that. And like that run that ended with the shot he missed against Philly, I was, I was still pretty young. I was still in high school at the time. I was mad about him going to his college graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that feels silly looking back now, but at the time I was really mad about that. I, and missing the shot, and then it was just like everything felt downhill from that moment up until Messiah arrived because it was Vince's faking the injuries and feeding plays to the Phoenix Suns while he was waiting, wanting a trade to get out. And Bosch came and the Colangelo era and the Babcock era with all the terrible trades constantly. And it was it was just so hard to get excited during that era because even though we had Bosch, who was pretty great, really, it was, there was always reasons not to be excited as much as there were reasons to be excited. And we had arguments and fights over stupid things like, you know, whether we were, (laughs) which players were going to be good coming out, which players we could get excited about. We got excited about Linus Klaza. We got excited (laughs) about, you know, trying to figure out if Hoffa Arujo would ever turn into anything. Yeah. Bargnani's 13 games. <laughs> um, and like, it was just, and then Masai showed up and it mm-hmm. was like going back to the Vince era for me because it was the Raptors were something to be excited about again. 
And then, I mean, you've been a Raptors fan these last five years where it's been, we get excited. We have a great regular season. We keep telling ourselves this time's going to be different. And then LeBron shows up Mm -hmm. and just like, I always felt like those Raptors teams beat themselves as much as LeBron beat them. They were fatally flawed. Yeah. And this team isn't, and that just feels like an understatement even. Yeah. That's one of the most, it's like, it's like one of the most interesting things about this team is like that they really have seemed to adopt the, um, that calmness that Kawhi just gives off. It's like he gives it off in waves and just everybody sort of takes it on. And obviously, like, there are other veterans on the team, like Danny Green and Marcus Hall. But that sort of seems to be, the, like, if you had to describe the 2019 Raptors in one word, it's got to be resiliency, right? Like, this this team just keeps bouncing back. They're not going to go away. They're not worried about losing a big game or getting blown out. The Raptors of years past, that's that just wasn't the case. It's, it's funny because you, you said in the intro that, you know, on your pod, you talk about the last thing people wrote. The last thing I writ- I wrote was actually about that. Um, mm. This week, I wrote a piece about. It was kind of a follow up piece to something I wrote in February. On February first, I wrote a piece about how up until that point in the season, this Raptors team didn't feel like they had an identity. Yeah, they they couldn't string together good quarters, let alone good games. And it was like they would have these moments where they would look like world beaters, and then. The next game, they would start with a quarter where they couldn't play as a team. And there was no consistency at all. And I was just, at the beginning of February, I was so frustrated with this team because there was no consistency at all from game to game. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the Marcus All trade happened. Guys got healthy in March. They had a couple weeks at the end of the season where they were able to finally play together and then coming into the playoffs. And then it just felt like they've... That really is what's defined them is they there is no moment too big for them. They don't get shook. And that's that's an incredible thing. Like those last two wins against Milwaukee, double digit losses to one of the most dominant teams in the last decade of basketball. And they just kept going. It just didn't seem to bother them. And the number of times, like sitting on Raptors Twitter during the games, you'd see the Raptors go down 15 in the first quarter and people on Twitter are going, well, this game's over. We move on to the next one. And they just keep fighting. And I, it's hard to compare to an, another team because I can't remember that many teams that just didn't seem to care what the scoreboard was telling them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Like even with the Warriors, like it's funny, right? There's like, there's a difference. Like the Raptors resiliency, it just feels like uh, it comes out of, uh, steadiness and like a mental toughness and like uh, just a, a workmanlike mentality. It's very surgical, and again, this all sort of stems from Kawhi, uh, th- just how he carries himself as a player. Whereas the Warriors, you're never really really worried about them if you're a Warriors fan going down fifteen or twenty or whatever. But that's mostly because like it's it's all pure talent. Like they've got so much transcendent talent on the floor that it just almost always never matters. They come back partly because, not to say that they're like a weak-minded team or anything, of course not, they've won championships, but, you know, they've got the greatest shooter on the floor in all time, of all time in Steph Curry, and Clay. you know, <laughs> no slouch there either, Durant maybe the greatest scorer ever, whatever, you have all these guys on the floor, and at some point, over the course of a 48-minute game, 
uh, they're going to go on runs and their runs tend to be super explosive and their talent just takes you over. And it's just like a really different sort of resiliency than the Raptors have, you know? Yeah, I think the Warriors are an emotional team, though. Like, even in their dominance, yeah. they're they're emotional. Like, Dre is out there in guys' faces, you know, yelling. Steph has his big shots, and then he dances back down the court. And, like, they emotion really drives them as a team. And I don't think – not to say, like, Kyle Lowry is a very emotional player. Yeah. Obviously. But I don't think emotion really drives this Raptors team. It's – like you said, it's it's Kawhi's personality, and he's just so unbothered. Um, it, it's we attach to the moments where he actually shows emotion, but there aren't a lot of them. And like, he just seems like he'll have you know fifteen point quarters where he's just going down the court and casually destroying somebody, and then getting back on defense. <laughs> and there's just there's nothing to it for him. And that it's very different than the Warriors because, like, until the game ends, these Raptors aren't going to yell about the way they're beating you. They're just going to keep playing. Yeah, it was kind of um, funny. Like, even in um, Game Six, I believe it was yeah, it was Game Six, like early in Game Six, I think. And uh, Norm was out there, and he hit like a a running uh, running floater and got fouled and he was like pounding his chest afterwards because he's been feeling good and playing well and he's playing really well in that series but it kind of stood out to me as almost weird because I was like oh like it just it stuck out to me because the Raptors don't do that very much in general so it was kind of odd you know they they really don't and like I think that gave them a lot of balance I mean in game one against the Warriors the other thing that sort of defines this Warriors team is they break you mentally with their runs. Yeah, like they do. If you if you watch that Portland series, Portland would go up seventeen points, and then the Warriors would string together a couple shots, and then and, and even while Portland was still winning sometimes by double digits, they would just look mentally broken under the weight of what Golden State was doing. Mm-hmm. And in that second half between the Raptors and and Warriors. There were moments where that easily could have happened to the Raptors. Steph would Steph hit a couple really crazy shots. He drew some fouls that were a little iffy. Mm-hmm. And the, those were the moments that sort of start the run for the Warriors. And the Raptors just kind of, they didn't get shaken by that. They just came back. Somebody came through with a shot. Fred hitting that crazy shot or... You know, something always happened where the Raptors found a way back into it, and like it's it's convinced me that there there's you know the Raptors winning this title wouldn't be crazy because this team is not going to shake if Kevin Durant comes back and drops forty five points at his first game back in the finals. The Raptors aren't going to just say, "Okay, well it's done. Durant's back. We've lost." Mm-hmm. They're going to try to find a way to get back into it. And, Maybe they lose, but they're not going to lose because they gave up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's the big thing in this series. Obviously, it seems so obvious, but, like, I mean, already kind of talking about the Warriors here, but, uh, like, Durant coming back, and obviously it depends heavily on how healthy he actually is. Everybody seems to have different thoughts on how healthy he actually is. Uh, he's been confirmed out for Game 2, I believe, already, and yep. uh, which is tomorrow. We're recording this on uh, Saturday night. And, um, 
it's it's really up to God. The Warriors, they've never lost a playoff series with Kevin Durant. They're basically unbeatable in a seven-game series with Kevin Durant. Without Kevin Durant, they're really, 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 really good. Um, that team, without a depth, mind you, uh, did win 73 games. And, you know, people love to have this conversation. Are the Warriors better without Kevin Durant? Do they need Kevin Durant? Whatever. No, they don't need Kevin Durant. Yes, they're better with Kevin Durant. It's pretty easy. I, I just think if they to win this series for sure, the Warriors need Durant back, and they need him, like, at least at, you know, 85 90% of what he usually can give them. Otherwise, the Raptors, yeah, they have a real chance in this series. Absolutely. I picked them in seven, and you picked them in six, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Warriors had a really good game one, and that was went kind of under the radar. It's like, you know, Steph and Clay scored 55 points. Draymond had a triple-double. Their bench scored more than they usually do. Like, that wasn't a bad Warriors game. It was just the Raptors were up to the test. And, yeah. Um, I reading. I, I try to read and watch a lot of national media coverage around the Raptors during these playoffs because I find it interesting. There's so much varied stuff out there. Oh, yeah. And one thing I find really interesting is it feels like there's a reluctance to give the Raptors defense full credit for what they've been doing. Um, you know, coming out of the Sixers series, there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, if Embiid was healthy, the Sixers would have scored easily on Toronto's defense. And yes, they it probably would have been a different series if Embiid was healthy, but it also wasn't an accident that the Sixers offense struggled. And then coming out of the Bucks series, it was, well, the Six the Bucks missed all these shots, but like that also wasn't an accident. No. And then, you know, um, I saw uh, Mike Zavano. Who's a Cleveland Cavaliers writer? I think mm-hmm. he tweeted out after Game One where it was like the Warriors' offensive rating on you know broken plays, on offensive rebounds, on fast breaks, and then their half court offensive rating. Right. And when they got out and ran, they scored a lot. When they got offensive rebounds, they scored a lot. When they were in the half court, they didn't score. Nope. They sure didn't. They, um, uh, actually in, uh, Blake, Blake Murphy, by the way, who, if, if, look, if you're, uh, watching the finals and you're not reading Blake's stuff, I don't know what to tell you. He's the best Raptors writer there is. Sorry. Um, just read him. Um, but, and he's been doing these Raptor recalibrations, which I'm sure everybody's been reading. And, uh, he had one of his stats in here about what you're talking about, about the half court defense. And in game one, uh, the Warriors had a 21st percentile rate in the half court against Toronto's defense. And this, I mean, you and I talked, have talked plenty about Masai Ujiri over the last 12 months. Yeah. Going back to the podcast we did the day of the Kawhi trade. Yeah. And there's a, there's a real brilliance to the way he built this team. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Every player in their playoff rotation is a guy who you trust, is a guy who you say, like, more often than not, this guy's going to make the correct play. And that just, it lets Nick Nurse do so many different things with the rotation when, you know, even without OG Ananobi, who apparently might be back for game two, I saw. Yeah. You still have an eight-man rotation that, like... On the defensive end, you can plug and play those pieces 
and they'll find a way to be successful. I mean, how many series in these playoffs was Mark Gasol supposed to be played off the floor? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely more than one. And, you know, he was out there guarding Steph Curry pick and rolls. Yeah, in man. Game one. Oh, my God. He was so good in game one. Oh, my God. So, and, and I, I just keep wanting to talk and write something about Pascal Siakam's defense because everybody's talking about his offense after that brilliant 32 point performance. But I thought he was just as good defensively as he was offensively in that game. Maybe better. Yeah. He's been so good defensively. I mean, he, a lot of the time he looks like he's, you know, he's everywhere. Like he's flying around all over the place. I mean, a lot of the Raptors are like Lowry's been doing the same thing too. That guy's just switching on to everybody. But um, Siakam closes. He closes out so well and everything. Did you? I'm I'm a little curious about this. This is a bit of a uh, sidetrack, but you know, uh, Kawhi was on second team all defense. Um, did you? Is there a part of you that was kind of felt like Siakam maybe deserved to be the guy on the all defensive team? It it should have been Siakam, and it probably should have been Danny Green too. Yeah, Danny's been great. Um, I understand why Kawhi got it because all defenses. Typically, there's a lot of reputation built into those. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Kawhi has earned his defensive reputation, absolutely. But a lot of times during the season, Kawhi wasn't taking the toughest assignments. No. He was, you know, he was guarding who he had to guard so he could be what what that guy offensively. And that was... I thought that was part of the Raptors' load management strategy, really. It wasn't just the games he missed. It was that while he was out there, they weren't making him be the guy always guarding the Paul Georges, the Giannis's, the LeBrons of the world. Because they had Pascal Siakam. They had Danny Green. And so, you know, those guys were guarding the tougher assignments a lot of nights during the regular season. And they both played a lot more games than Kawhi did. Yeah. Um... You know, Krishna Narsu of Nylon Calculus, he put out he puts out a tool where you can um, look at the percentage of time each player spent guarding each position during the regular season. Yeah. And uh, only two guys in the NBA this season spent more than ten percent of the possessions that they were on the floor guarding every possession or guarding every position and posted a defensive player impact plus minus over plus one. And that was Draymond Green, who might be the best defender we've ever seen, and Pascal Siakam. And that's, I, I mean, he's not in Draymond Green, Green's class as a defender, but he's getting into that conversation. Yeah, he's been, he's been awesome. I, I think it's part of it, too, is that this Raptors team as a unit works so well defensively together that sometimes think you get it gets lost a little bit, right? And then and then you just look at it as a whole and say, well, Kawhi, like, we, you know, he's got the reputation, so everybody kind of just le- leans toward him being the focal, you know, defensive guy there, but it really is a group thing. Like, everybody's been so good. From, from I mean, you, you, you and I have had this whole conversation and nobody's even mentioned Kyle Lowry yet. Yeah, exa- yeah, I was gonna, yeah, exactly. Kyle Lowry, like, I, the, that guy, I, I don't know, man. He's... He's, he's, he's done so many things that are so incredibly impressive defensively from a point guard. Like his I'm his thing where he so, jumps. I'm just so incredibly happy for him right now. 
Uh, yeah. Okay. So this. So here's the other thing. So uh, I was just gonna say about the de- like his um when he jumps, he's mastered now that thing where he jumps straight up the verticality, and he just like when the guy's way bigger than him and he's coming back on the break and he just jumps straight up into the air and he's perfectly vertical, and like most of the time it results in the uh, the offensive player missing. Like it's like that always just shocks me every single time he does it. Um, he's he's such a cerebral player in all aspects of his game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's. I mean, you look at the way during the playoffs, he's he's embraced just guarding guys who have like a foot of height more in wingspan and like fifty to eighty pounds on him. Mm-hmm. And the Raptors put him. They choose to put him on those guys, yeah. and they say, "You come beat me." Yep. And frequently, it takes an opponent out of their offense because you know. One of the things we don't really talk about with NBA players as much as we probably should is players have a lot of pride in their game. So a lot of these players, they see a guy who's Kyle Lowry's size guarding him, and they think, you know, this is disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I'm going to punish them for it. And they get it in their head, and they just keep going back to it because in their head they're telling themselves, you know, this is a mismatch. This is where I have to prove that I can beat this guy. Yep. And that's where the uh, posting up Lowry thing comes from. Like I'm, I I would be shocked if teams didn't know that it's, it's just never ends well when somebody tries to post up Kyle Lowry, but players do it anyway because they look at him and they see him as six feet and they're like, okay, yeah, you know what? This time though, I'm going to show him I got him. And it, it, it it never works out well. And six feet is being generous. I think. Yeah. Six feet in shoes. Maybe (laughs) (laughs) he's got some big shoes. Yeah, it's, I just, I mean, and Fred Van Vliet has been, uh, I mean, what he did on the other night against Steph was just amazing. Oh, he's got to be so tired, man. He's, he was, he was all over the floor. He was running through every single screen. Like, he was a little bulldozer out there. I, so, I have a question for you, because this is one that I've been thinking about a lot, though, since the end of the Bucks series. Yeah. Where are you mentally at if, like, the Raptors... I mean, this is the Warriors. This is a team that's won three of the last four championships. If the Raptors just drop the next four games, uh-huh. because as unlikely as I think it is, I think the Raptors are good enough that that's not going to happen. The Warriors could do that. They could. And mentally, where would that leave you? Like, what are you remembering about this season if that happens? Um, I think for me personally... I can't speak for obviously for every Raptors fan. I know now that the Raptors are in the finals and now that they've they've taken game one and you know, game one's obviously historically the Raptors haven't been good at taking and it just changes everything and this playoff run's been so magical and Kawhi's been so incredible despite the injury and, and Kyle Lowry is just destroying the narrative of that he never shows up in the playoffs, which was a dumb narrative anyway, and we should just stop talking about it. Um all of that stuff, you know, I, I was okay with making the finals. When the Raptors, I, I thought the Raptors should make it out of the East. I thought making it out of the East would be the big the big chip to to come to Kawhi in the offseason and say, look, we were the best team in the East. You know, like, just just have that as whatever else you have to say to them. You know, there's a lot of other things too. But that's one of the main things, that we were the best team in this conference this year, and we can come back and you can do it again, and you can have another shot. Whether you won, if you're defending 
uh, obviously, which, you know, that changes things as well. Or even if you lost and if you had a competitive series or if you didn't, um, you were still the best team in that conference and you were the man on that team. And I, th I think that's important. Um, so as a fan, uh, that's where I wanted the Raptors to be. And I think that was the goal of the franchise, too, was to get to the finals. It's uncharted territory. They've never made a finals. I think that was the big thing for them. And so I kind of bought into that as a fan and said, okay, so once they reach the finals, I mean, after game six, that's the happiest I've ever been with my Raptors fandom. Um, I, can't, I can't even describe how much elation I was feeling after that game. Even more, like after the game one win in the finals, this this all still feels kind of dreamy. So, you know. Listening to uh, Sean Woodley's podcast that you were on. <laughs> Uh, that was like, I, I got emotional listening to that podcast, just listening to you guys work through everything of like, I, yeah, a lot of emotions, like just watching the clips of the players walking into Jurassic Park after that game was really cool. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Um, and I, something that's you know, I've been thinking about is during these playoffs, it probably helps the Raptors a lot. That these big moments that Kawhi keeps having, they're happening in Toronto. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of chance in that, but you know, the shot against Philly that happened in Toronto, which meant the next day after the game, he was around the city of Toronto, seeing the, the emotion that that brought out in the city. After beating the Bucks, he was around the city of Toronto for four days. And, like, you know, going into that game one in the finals, that's game one of the NBA finals. That crowd before the game, the emotion after the game. And that's, like, I think all due respect to San Antonio, but there's a difference. Because when he won his first title in San Antonio, that was also their fifth title in 15 years. And there's, there's a different thing about that is like you start to, I, you, you see some fan bases start to kind of get used to it and they start to sort of expect that success. And we, we Raptors fans, we don't have those expectations. You know, we just, every moment for the last like 10 moments that he's had in these playoffs has been the greatest moment in Raptors history. Yeah. And so that's as overwhelming as it is for us as fans. That's also got to be kind of overwhelming for him. And I think that's like that's got to be part of the sales pitch, right? Is like you're you're creating a brand new history here in Toronto that you can't have an equivalent in some of these other cities. Like Kawhi Leonard goes into this summer. He's he's not just like the biggest athlete in the city of Toronto. He's one of the biggest people in the city of Toronto. Period. Yep. If not the biggest, the the city is his to some extent, and like he can go home to L.A., but I don't think he'll ever have that in L.A. You know, you you win a tr title in Toronto you're creating something for fans that they've never seen before. You win a title in LA, the next day somebody's writing an article that's like, where does this NBA title rank next to the <laughs> other 16 titles? <laughs> True. Like, 
I think that's different. And I think that's, it, it's something we, you know, obviously we're not players on the team. We can't fully understand and we can't fully understand how he's going to evaluate that. But there was a lot of stories before the trade happened about how Kawhi wanted to be seen as a bigger star. He wanted to have that a little bit. Right. And I think he's getting that out of this. Like the, this last month, you know, that his star is very ascendant in the league and Toronto's delivering that to him. Um, I, that the fact that new balance is running a campaign right now that calls him the King of the North to me is like, you aren't doing that if you want out. Yeah. That, that billboard, you saw the billboard, right? Did you, you saw the one in San Francisco too? Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. That's great. Just amazing um, job at New Balance. Good job. Good work. The way they've marketed him has been brilliant. Like, just totally catered to who he is. Yeah. I honestly think the market in Toronto works so well for him, like, his personality-wise, because, yeah, he is right now on such an incredible playoff tear and doing magical things for the city, a sports run that they've never, they've never seen before, in terms of basketball, at least. And... You know, it's just, I don't know, I don't even really know how to describe it. Like, he, he's, he really, after the game, the game winner, the bounce shot, I think that's really the moment where everything turned from, especially for casual fans, and even in some regard for, I think, hardcore fans, because I, I would say a lot of people felt like the regular season was frustrating in some ways, even if the, the load management thing was understood, that that's what was going to happen. The whole season, there's so many injuries and all that stuff. It's just a little frustrating. And then you have a postseason run like this, and it becomes all worth it, where it kind of felt like he was a bit of a hired gun before, especially because you knew he was had impending free agency. And then he hits that shot. He's never done anything like that before because nobody in NBA history has ever done that in a Game 7 before. He lets loose all that emotion, which you never see from Kawhi Leonard. And in that instant that the ball bounces one, two, three, four times, and then hits the ground. Um, the, the magnetic rims. Yeah, the magnetic rims <laughs> in <laughs> Toronto. Uh, that, that's the moment that he became tied to the city, became tied to Toronto sports lore and history. And there's nothing that can change that now. That's, that's, a, that's a Toronto moment. He is forever tied to Toronto sports. So, you know, even if he leaves... Um, that's never going to change. So it also like just the way LA fans constantly talk about you know enjoy Kawhi because next year he's going to be here. Mm-hmm. The whole way, I mean, as a Raptors fan, you try to kind of ignore it. You try to say whatever. You know, you guys are living in in a fantasy world, but but it it does impact you a little bit because you know LA is where he wanted to go. LA is home. And then like those moments happen and it changes from, you know, well, he might stay and this was a good gamble to even if he leaves, we got this. Oh yeah. And this is worth it. And like, even if we, even if the Raptors don't win the title, this was still worth it. And 
and you don't have to rationalize it against, well, what would it have looked like if they didn't make the trade and the rebuild was coming anyways. All of those rationalizations are gone now. Now mm-hmm. it's just like the moment was worth it and the moment was big enough to justify what we did. Yeah, if there's one thing I could say to people who are listening to this who are like, look, the, the all the he stay stuff, and I join in on them too all the time. It's fun. It's it's you know it's it's just something that Raptors fans have done all season because everyone wants to. All the other fans of other teams love to poke fun at Raptors fans that Kawhi's going to leave, so all the Raptors fans want to say that he's going to stay. That's just how it works. But look, even even if all that's going on, like just for a moment, brush that stuff aside and just enjoy what's happening now because. This is incredible. Like, this whole playoff run. And, and I know, like, Sean, always the voice of reason, you mentioned before, Sean Woodley, he's been, he's been on this, you know, little campaign for a while to just enjoy this. Ignore the he stay, he leave comments just for a little bit and stuff like the bounce shot, stuff like winning game one of the NBA finals, let alone making it there, guarding Giannis and effectively helping shut him down for a large part of a series. Uh, the guy that's probably going to be the next best player in the NBA, stuff like that. Like, just enjoy that this guy is playing for your team right now in your city, and he's doing historic stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's a moment. And it might not have, might not ever happen again. I mean, really, it might not ever happen again. There's a lot of franchises in the NBA that have never had a player as good as Kawhi. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, we spent... Almost 25 years with the Raptors waiting for a moment like this. And, you know, as great as Vince Carter was, as great as Chris Bosh was, as great as Kyle Lowry is and DeMar DeRozan was, it wasn't this. And uh, I'll, I don't know if I'll ever be a, as big a fan as a, of a basketball player as I am of Kyle Lowry, but it's still not the same. It's um, different. And Definitely. I just... Yeah, appreciate it. Enjoy it. This is this is special. This is it might get bigger yet, but it it's still big enough. And I uh, before we came on the podcast, I was thinking back to the the pod that we recorded last summer. Yeah, at the time of the trade. Yeah, and how we were giddy and we were hypothetically talk, talking through all the things that this might mean <laughs> and all the th- places that the trade might take the Raptors. Yeah. And I don't know if I fully understood, like, that it was possible at that moment. I think at some point I was just getting myself excited about a season that I hadn't been excited about prior to the trade. Because I wasn't. I, you know, I liked the team last year. A lot of those players will always have a place in my heart as a sports fan. But I wasn't excited about another year of watching them have a good regular season and then struggle with the playoffs because of the flaws that still existed on the team. And the trade gave me excitement, so I wanted to convince myself that it was going to be this big, huge moment. But I don't know if I fully believed it. We hadn't seen Kawhi play basketball in over a year, almost. We didn't know what we were getting. And the whole thing could have fallen apart. And for a lot of the season, it looked like it was teeter-tottering there um we weren't sold on nick nurse we weren't sold on the team's chemistry we weren't sold on a lot of things about the group the bench struggled it looked like they were a team that was just kind of fumbling their way through a season and it just 
it didn't feel like it was fully going to be a the year that we talked about on that podcast until about a month ago. So it's it's great to get hyped as a Raptors fan. It's great to get hyped up about something and have it live up to expectations. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> the first thing I always think about when I think of that podcast because I've been thinking about that podcast a lot too. Um, just we were just going off. I didn't have a single note. I remember we just. That was, the trade went off. I ran upstairs like I don't. I don't care. There's no notes. I don't need anything. I'm ready to go off. That was awesome. And uh, I, the main thing I remember is just being. We were both so excited about the defense. I remember we were like asking each other like, "This is this this might be the best defensive team in basketball, right? Now it's got to be now, right? Like you got Kawhi Leonard out there. You got Danny Green out there. Pascal Siakam's a good defender. Uh, you know, Kyle Lowry's a good defender." And we were talking about some guys who either aren't on the team or haven't played in the playoff run, too. Like yeah. DeLon Wright, who's gone now, and, you know, yeah. OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi might have been the best defender on the team last year. He hasn't played a minute in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, it didn't just live up to expectations. It exceeded them as a defensive team. And, you know, we should probably give a lot of credit to Nick Nurse, too, especially oh, given yeah. that... I was critical of him for most of the season. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, he was heralded as this offensive genius, and the offense really hasn't been that creative most of the year. Yeah. But, but he was clearly building something, and we couldn't see the whole picture. But once we got to the playoffs, we'd been able to see kind of like what he was doing and where he was taking the team. And the trust that he built throughout the season with those players has really paid huge dividends in the in, in the postseason. And you can see watching the team that they trust what's been put in place. That they they all feel like Nurse is their guy. And that that goes a long way. Yeah. Um I'm I'm really happy for Nurse. Uh, I think he's been so impressive for most of these playoffs. I, it was so difficult to judge him at all during the regular season because he did really have an up and down regular season. But there were so many external variables that he just couldn't control, mostly injuries and then the trade, the deadline, and stuff like that, right? And chemistry, and and stuff that's just tough as a as a not just for a coach but a rookie head coach nonetheless. It was so difficult to judge him for those things, and then we got to the playoffs, and it was really, you know, every coach is, of course, judged on their, their playoffs performance, um, but this was really the only spot we had to actually judge Nurse, because he finally had a healthy roster, other than, obviously, what happened with OG, with the appendectomy, um, and, you know, for the most part, he's been great. Uh, there were, I think he adjusted a little too slow. I think everybody thinks he probably adjusted a little too slow in the Sixers series, first few games uh well after the first game uh two and three um but really since then he's been great and the eastern conference finals he outcoached bud um you know straight up which i it's so funny when you think about in the in the off season when they were doing the coaching search and bud was one of the guys on the list and yeah. you know there were a lot of people who i mean i don't blame them for you know maybe wanting a guy with more experience and whatever but Bud was he's one of those guys like a lot of coaches that he sticks to certain things and he won't move on them and Nurse at least has shown to be malleable in certain ways that at least in that series, you know, he outcoached him. I feel like there was like a switch that flipped halfway through the Philly series. 
because for the first couple games of the Philly series, it still felt like he was still figuring some things out. Mm-hmm. And then about the midway point of that series, it felt like he suddenly went, okay, you know, I can play Abaka and Gasol together in this series. And, uh, you know, he started to match Gasol's minutes to Embiid's. And he started to sort of put things together as far as what he could do to get the team through that, through what they were struggling with. And as soon as he got there in that Philly series, it's been just everything works that he's doing. He, he had the answers against Milwaukee. He coached a great game one against the Warriors. Yeah, he did. With Nurse, it is kind of funny, though, because like when we got down to the last four teams of the Eastern uh, Conference playoffs, Nurse was supposed to be a disadvantage for the Raptors. I mean, you know, Brett Brown and Mike Budenholzer and Brad Stevens, these are three guys who are looked at as some of the best in the business and at coaching uh, without going into everybody knows about the Brad Stevens stuff last year and the ridiculous places that went, but like Budenholzer has coached multiple 60 win teams. He's probably the coach of the year. Yeah. Brett Brown's done a great job in Philadelphia building up that team. The Raptors were supposed to be the team with a coaching disadvantage and nurses turned that's right around and he deserves all the credit in the world for this. And he's very clearly established himself as the guy in Toronto moving forward that you trust, especially if Kawhi's coming back. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's proven himself for sure. Um, I've just been, I don't know. I've been, I've been so impressed with him so far. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's like any job, he's going to continue to learn and get better as he goes on. And I, I think he's definitely, uh, earned the uh the right to continue to be the coach for the foreseeable future anyway so yeah so that you know retrospect but that was a good hire i did want to ask too about so we're kind of circling back to lowry uh in terms of just like the feelings of this finals and you kind of brought this up before and i want to dive into it a little bit more but i I think you kind of mentioned like you feel the same way that i do really about lowry which is right now um He's the last remaining member of the core that kicked off the golden era of Raptors basketball. And as such, he seems to be, for a lot of people, carrying the most investment for a lot of people in in the finals. That out of every Raptor that's on that team, you want to see Kyle Lowry succeed the most. Because he's the guy that's been through it. Everybody craps on him about the playoffs. Um, He's not the most athletic He's had a bad shooting year. He's getting up there in age. Uh, all of this stuff. And yeah, Raptors fans who have watched him for years know how good Kyle Lowry is and know what he's become uh, with the Raptors, a five-time All-Star, deservedly. And just to see him go this far in the playoffs, a place he's never been, and to get to watch Kyle Lowry, like, man, I can't tell you how, like, what, that's the feeling, like, when he took a charge, the first charge in the finals, <laughs> dude, I was I was losing my mind. I've always been a Lowry guy, and, like, I, I don't want to revisit the Lowry-DeRozan debates, obviously, this is the wrong time to do that, but, yeah. like, I've always felt like he didn't get enough credit over the last five years, and... A lot of the numbers bear that out. I saw the number on, on Twitter yesterday that from 2016 to 2019, 
in luck-adjusted RAPM, the league leaders for that period are Steph Curry in first, Giannis in second, and Kyle Lowry is third. (laughs) I mean, and then you think about all the guys who have to be behind him for him to be third. Mm -hmm. That's how good he's been for these last four years. I just... I've always been a guy who said, like, we don't properly account for all the ways he affects a game, and that sort of changed the way his legacy has been, because he's not really the type of guy who wants to go out and, you know, score 30 points, even in the years when he couldn't. This year, he probably couldn't have all that often. You know, he's lost a step. He had that back injury this year, and the thumb injury now in the playoffs. Those things have limited him. But... Two years ago, and a lot of people don't re- don't either don't know this or have forgotten this. He was one of the best pull up shooters in the entire league. Oh yeah, yep. Um, he, you know, for a couple years there, he was a Steph Curry level pull up shooter. He was the best pull up shooter uh, on above the break threes for what year was that? Was that that was only like two seasons ago, right? Yes, yeah, two thousand sixteen seventeen. Yeah. Um, he was a guy who could put up those points and who could do those things. But that wasn't who he wanted to be as a player. You know, he took the backseat to DeMar offensively because he was going to help the team win whatever it took to do that. And like when the Raptors didn't have great defenders at all those positions, he guarded whoever he had to. You know, you think back to that Washington series last year, he guarded Bradley Beal for the whole series. Yeah. And and like he gave up a lot of size in that matchup. Beal is a tough matchup for almost anybody. But Lowry said I'm going to take this so other guys can have easier matchups. And that's like and you can see that in this playoff run is yeah, he had the big scoring series against Milwaukee. But he was also great against Philly mm-hmm. when he wasn't scoring. Yep. And he does Everything. He's on the floor diving for loose balls. He's taking those charges. And, like, some of the charges he's taken in this playoff run have been hits that are a little bit scary. Oh, speaking of a guy with a bad back. Like, he's he's taken charges from Embiid. He's taken charges from Giannis. He's taken charges from... Uh, Kev, was it Kevon Looney last night? Uh, or the other night? Yeah, I think it was. Like, these are big guys that he's just jumping in front of to to slow them down. I don't know if I've ever seen a basketball player who has so little disregard for his own well-being when yeah. he's trying to help his team as Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. And it's, for me as a fan, it's always hard not to love seeing a guy be willing to just put him out there, like, put himself out there like that. Yeah, he he gives everything he's got. That's in in short, that's the thing that everybody loves about Kyle Lowry. If you've watched him long enough, he does whatever it takes to win and he's so incredibly smart that you trust him most of the time. I know a lot of people feel like they don't trust Lowry because of past past uh, playoff experiences and whatever and the shooting hasn't been as great and whatever. I don't know. I have a trust in, in Kyle Lowry. Um because I think he's always looking to make the right play. And even shooting-wise, he's had three straight really good playoff runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been been great in these playoffs. He's been fantastic. 
like everybody, I, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter saying like, oh, it's great to see Lowry finally shooting well in the playoffs. Uh, for the last, if you look at the last three years of the playoffs, he's having his worst shooting playoff run. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's shooting well, but that's not abnormal for him based on the recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's been everything to the Raptors, and I don't, I don't know if he'll ever get as much credit as he probably should for that, but just seeing the emotion on his face at the end of Game 6 against Milwaukee was like, that was incredible. That one shot they had of him with a couple seconds to go when Kawhi hit the free throw and it felt like the game was over, and you, you, you saw him finally let go and kind of accept the emotion of the moment. Yep. And he went and grabbed the game ball immediately. Just took took after it and went after it and grabbed it and that thing was his and he earned it. Yeah, the look on his face was awesome. He was uh had his kids with him and that was great. I'm I'm so happy for Kyle Lowry. It it's funny because last year well and especially not just during the summer after the DeRozan trade, but also especially after the Gasol trade. I saw some takes from Raptors fans that were like, well, you know, it would still be cool to see the Raptors win a title, but some people said this felt, this felt was starting to feel a little bit like a mercenary team to them. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it didn't have the emotional connection because the, these weren't guys that we had spent years investing in. But I really feel like the playoffs have turned that around. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, you, Raptors fans have started to invest in the success of not just Kawhi, but also like Danny Green and Mark Gasol. And, you know, you you watch Danny Green's podcast between the ECF and the finals, and you watch him talk about his struggle shooting. And it, it, you get to see pieces of these guys' lives because of the way they're opening up. Mm-hmm. That it's It becomes a lot easier to invest in them and a lot easier to see how these things are impacting them as players. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, the open gym guys are doing great stuff as always too. And that's always neat. They, they show some stuff that you don't get to see with other teams as well. So that stuff's and always it does, fun. It, it doesn't hurt that a lot of these guys just have great stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, Pascal Siakam's life story is incredible. Oh yeah. When he's, when he was talking about his dad after the game one win, oh man, that was, that's neat, man. Like he's, uh, his story, yeah, like you said, it's great. If you haven't seen Siakam's story, like just go Google it or something. But yeah, it's uh, amazing. Sira Sohi wrote about it. Okay, yeah. And her story is amazing. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, it's, I'm enjoying the ride and I'm just trying to let myself just keep being absorbed in it because it's fun and it's, it's definitely stressful at moments, and it's going to keep being stressful through these finals. But you know, it I'm. It makes a lot of those rougher moments as a Raptors fan worth it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you think back to things like Dwayne Casey drawing up the play on the wrong side of the court on the final play against Brooklyn, and Kyle Lowry getting blocked by Paul Pierce. Yeah, uh, yeah. The sweep against Washington that just like that was 
I don't even know how to describe how how you felt how how Raptors fans felt at the end of that one because it was like no high seed has ever been swept in the first round. Yeah, and they weren't just swept; it was, the games were ugly. <laughs> and then like the series against Cleveland and mm. last year, like that last year's team, I believed in that team. Yep, and I I believed that team could win that series. And it wasn't just that they lost, like, LeBron treated the series as a joke. And now we get to see the other side of that, like, what it's like to have the best player on the court, the guy who just is inevitable. Is inevitable, yep. Um, the, I, I don't like to take pleasure in other people's suffering, but, you know, at the end of that Philly series, reading the way Philadelphia fans wrote and talked about Kawhi was definitely a new perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's even just, uh, being on Twitter, you know, and like live tweeting and whatever, and you're on Twitter during the game and you're scrolling, you're scrolling down the timeline and you're reading tweets from fans of other teams, especially the teams you're playing, your team is playing against. And, um, it's kind of weird, you know, to see like, other fans being like, "Oh God, here comes Kawhi again. He's doing it again. He's doing it again. He's taking the. He just took the ball. There he goes. He's going for the uncontested. Yeah, he got the dunk. Yep, yep. He just dunked on Giannis. Yeah, he just dunked on Embiid. Oh my God, you know, like it's, it's, it's wild to see that and be like, hey, you know, that guy. Yeah, he's a Toronto Raptor. <laughs> Both games five and six against Milwaukee. The Raptors are down double digits, and the game is looking horrible. And I. I find myself suddenly thinking, like, all they have to do is keep it close enough that Kawhi can take over in the fourth. Uh Uh-huh. And that's such a foreign thought, but, like, the confidence in him comes so easily. Um, it's just... I want to go back to Pascal Siakam for a little bit, though, like, because as as Raptors fans, I I enjoy taking the victory lap on this one, because I (laughs) I like thinking back to, you know, last summer when, you know, you saw, um... After the Kawhi trade, fans of other teams going, well, why would Kawhi trade and uh, why would Kawhi stay in Toronto when the Lakers have this great young core? (laughs) You know, people starting rank these young players lists with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam and, you know, people on Twitter being mad that Pascal Siakam was even on the list with those guys. And like, Obviously, the Raptors front office believed because they weren't going to trade him. They they didn't want to put him in the Kawhi trade. They kept him out of that trade. And the Raptors clearly saw the potential there. And, like, even now when, when people talk about him, you see people say, well, yeah, he's good, but he's 24. How much better is he going to get? He's going to get better. <laughs> there are things that Pascal Siakam does comfortably on the on, on the court right now that at Christmas he couldn't do. There are things he's j- just started to do, and he's just starting to do them in the playoffs. Like, this guy's trying things in the playoffs. That that off-the-dribble jumper that he hit That's what in I'm game about. one. Yep. That was a, like, wait a second, he can do that? <laughs> yeah. And I know. 
and he's doing it, and, and you're like, you're looking, you're watching the game, and you're going, oh, okay, I don't know if this is the time for this, uh, Siakam, that you're just trying to learn new things here, but the reason he's doing it, obviously, is because the defenses are trying to, you know, force him into something he doesn't do, and he's just, he's just gonna do it, and most of the time, he, he kind of, like, he shows you flashes that the things that he doesn't even normally do, like, that he can do them, at least at some point, he's gonna be able to, like, I'm, I'm already conf- kind of confident that he's gonna be able to start hitting pull-up jumpers pretty soon. And he's it, just the massive sign of respect that other teams are playing for are, are paying him because like in the last three rounds, he's been guarded by Joel Embiid, who is going to win a defensive player of the award a year uh, or of the year award in his career. Yep. Giannis, who might win it this year mm-hmm. and Draymond Green, who already has one, right. like some of the best defenders in the NBA are getting dedicated to slowing down Pascal Siakam. And Kawhi Leonard is his teammate. <laughs> yeah. He's he, he's demanding that attention because, you know, Philadelphia opened the series. They weren't going to put Embiid on him. And he had he, he opened the series scoring well. So they, they had to say, okay, we're going to take Siakam away. And that's – he's already that guy. I mean, when Draymond Green – after game one, went into the press conference and said, he's become a guy. I'm not sure people took that comment as much, as strongly as they should have. Like, Draymond was saying, he's become a guy that you have to account for, that you have to scout for, that you have to have game preparation for. He's on that small list of guys that will win games if you don't. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I saw, speaking of Draymond, um, this is just an, a thought I had about this, but I saw a, a fair amount of people saying that, you know, maybe Draymond in game one, he just wasn't, like, prepared for Siakam because he hadn't seen Siakam much or whatever, and all this stuff, and the Warriors were kind of talking about, like, Kerr was kind of talking about, you know, well, we didn't we haven't played this team much and whatever, so we didn't, you know, we weren't really used to them and blah, 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 blah. As if, as if they don't have advanced scouts or something. Yeah. Um, he, he's at, he was averaging 20 points a game in the playoffs going into last night's, or he, going into game one. Yeah, like, we, like there's, a, there's a ton of video on Siakam. Yeah, it's different, I guess, if you're playing him in person. But there's a lot of video on Siakam. And I refuse to believe that Draymond, like, wasn't trying or, like, was, was there, surprised by Siakam. I don't think he was surprised, and I don't think he wasn't trying. See, you know how I know that they had scouting on him, though? Because there was a moment in Game 1 where Siakam played like he was going to go into his spin move. Mm -hmm. And Draymond read it perfectly. Right. And he played it like the spin move was coming. And if Siakam had gone into the spin move, the play would have died right there. Siakam countered it. Because he knew the defensive coverage was going to read the spin move. And he got himself a good shot. And, like, if Dre doesn't know that, that only works if Draymond knows the spin move is coming and is already reading it. And that only happens if the scouting's been done. Yeah, and, and if you go and rewatch that game as well, um, Draymond does a better job on Siakam earlier in the game. So... Like, don't just chalk this up to, oh, Draymond wasn't trying or he wasn't prepared or he, whatever. Like, Siakam figured it figured it out, in, at least for game one, 
Um, he, yep. he adjusted. Like, it, it was – give him credit. I mean, Draymond was doing a really good job early in the game and getting him out of his comfort zone and all this stuff. And Siakam had to had to switch stuff up a little bit and become aggressive in, in different spots and, and do things like you're saying and not just go to his go-to moves, which would be so easy. He had to actually – do some other things with his footwork, which has been also something that's been so incredible this year, and and attack with some different post moves and stuff. And, uh, you know, just credit to him that he, he was able to do that because Draymond was trying. Like, come on, let's stop yeah. with that. He, he's not – they're not going into an NBA Finals game and saying this game doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's, that's the this is the first time the Warriors have ever opened an NBA Finals on the road. Um, it, it's the tomorrow's game is going to be interesting. Game three is going to be interesting. I honestly don't know what to expect. Um, you know, Steph could come out and drop 60 on us and I wouldn't be that shocked. The Raptors could blow them out of the water tomorrow and I wouldn't be that shocked. I, I, these are very good teams and I, you know, I, I also want to say, like, Milwaukee was an extremely good team. Philadelphia was an extremely good team. Right. When a series goes to to be a long series, and, and this bothers me about NBA fans, is like, when a series goes long, it feels like a lot of people has, have a tendency to say, okay, well, this means, you know, these two teams are struggling. Sometimes a long series just means there's two really good teams playing each other. Right. I, th- I think that was the case with Milwaukee, for sure. I mean, I mean uh, Philly too, but uh, Milwaukee was so much more like uh, the matchups were so much more even. I think in general. Yep. And then Philly was just it was that was just a that was a bloodbath. I I still kind of will hold to the fact that I think that the Philly series is a lot is at least somewhat quicker if OG Ananobi is playing. Yeah, I could see that. Because I think like. The Raptors team was built in such a way that they have just enough big bodies to match up with big teams. And they don't really have a backup for, like, Pascal Siakam doesn't really have a backup. And that's part of why he plays so many minutes in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. The, those minutes are filled by committee with, you know, sometimes you have the big the big lineup with Ibaka and Gasol. Sometimes you have Kawhi playing that role. Sometimes you have... It, OG is supposed to be the other guy. But when Kawhi has to play so many minutes because you can't play the two point guard lineups against team against Philly. And then, you know, the bigs are both working so hard to keep Embiid in control. You have to find some solution there. And that's why Siakam played. I mean, he played just a ridiculous number of minutes for some of those games against Philly because there was just there was nothing else. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. OG has been missed. I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm still hesitant about the idea of bringing OG back so soon for multiple reasons. Some of the, some of the concerns are like the same as the Warriors would have with a uh, boogie who looked, um, okay out there, I guess. in the, in the limited minutes he was out there, obviously not as dominant as he normally is. Um, yep. which is to be expected, but, uh, I don't know. There was like a report, like they were reporting like a day or two before the one where he was upgraded to questionable for game one. It was like a day or two before they were talking about how he was 10 days away. So, um, I don't know. And then before that, even before that, it was like, well, he's done light contact in practice and I, I just don't know. I know people who have gone through 
um, emergency appendectomies and like it, I mean, they, they took, you know, a month, a month and a half, at least, at least to kind of get back to normal activities. And these aren't people who are playing NBA basketball. So, you know, I'm a little nervous about throwing him into the fire of the finals. Well, I'll say two things there. First, like there is, there is an established precedent for OG coming back quickly from injury. Um, last year, his ACL injury was supposed to keep him out to like January. True. And, you know, I, I think, I think there's been indications that he's the type of guy who puts in the work to get through the rehab quickly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and I, the other thing is, OG has had such a tough year, man. Yeah, he has. And I think just distancing myself a little bit from the basketball part of the equation, I just like the idea that a guy who's been through everything he's been through this year can have a, a can have a good moment at the end of it. And like OG seem he he everything I've seen from him, he just he seems like such a great guy. He seems like a great teammate. If there's a guy who deserves to have a good moment before the end of the season, to me it's OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. And and I hope, you know, if if he does play in this series and if he is out there, that he can be effective and that he can have some of those good moments. Because I you know, <laughs> he probably needs it at this point. <laughs> and, and on the basketball side of things, like the minutes that I assume he'd be playing are, are largely minutes that right now are being filled by like Norman Powell and Pat McCaw. Yeah. And I, I love Norman Powell, but I don't think OG Ananobi has to be like, he doesn't have to be last year's starter OG Ananobi to fill those minutes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, he's definitely when healthy he's obviously the best option there in that spot. Um, yeah, he's, he's, it's one of those things, right? Like I, I thought of, I've been thinking about it this way in terms of at least the basketball stuff. So, uh, the Warriors didn't go to Draymond at center in game one at all because they don't have Kevin Durant mostly. So they don't have enough shooting on the floor to make that really a realistic thing. And if they get Kevin Durant back and they do go to it, and I just, I imagine at some point. Uh, like I just, I also just can't imagine KD not coming back at some point. But I, I'm sure the Warriors are going to go to that small unit eventually. And when they do, that's when you start being more concerned. Especially if they they do have another shooter on the floor, you start being more concerned about Gasol. So then the obvious counter is to go to the Siakam at center lineup, which you haven't seen a lot in the playoffs, but is something that Nurse obviously tried in the regular season to varying degrees of success. But against smaller ball teams, it was pretty good. But OG is part of what makes that unit sing, and I, yeah, that, I, I feel that like lineup need needs OG and Kawhi to hold its own on the boards. Yeah, I agree. So I, I it's one of those, it's one of those moments where you just you can see that, right? You can see that happening in the future. A few games down the road, Katie comes back. They go to that lineup. Maybe Gasol has a bit of trouble staying on the floor. And Nurse wants to go to that lineup, and, and he doesn't have OG and an OB. So what does he do? Like. You know, does he risk going with Van Vliet and have Lowry and Van Vliet out there? Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough. Like, that's where you really, really, really could use him. And it's just one of those moments you can see. You could see it happening, like, in game three or four or something, right? Like, it's, I don't, I, th- I feel like that's something that if Raptors fans are nervous about something, that's one of those adjustments that 
um, is there. Absolutely. I have no idea how to read the Durant stuff right now. Because to me, it almost feels like, I tweeted this today, it feels like there's two different camps talking to the media about Durant. Because there's these reports that keep coming out that, like, he might be back for Game 3, he might be back for, for Game 4. And then there's everything Steve Kerr says, which sounds vastly different to that. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as we know at this point, he's really not even doing, like, full solo on-court workouts. Yeah. He's going out and shooting a little bit, but that's not the same thing as doing on-court work. Yeah, he hasn't practiced yet, right? He hasn't done a full practice. Yeah. He hasn't practiced, and some of the w- ways they talk about it makes it sound like he's still in pretty bad shape. Mm-hmm. But then but then there's also people saying, well, if the Warriors lose game two, he's definitely back for game three. But, like, there's two different things we need to talk about then. We need to talk about, like, what happens if Kevin Durant comes back and plays, but we also need to talk about what happens if Kevin Durant comes back and plays, but he isn't Kevin Durant. Because, you know, if he comes back and plays, he's going to be defending on the wing, which means he's going to be chasing either Kawhi Leonard or Pascal Siakam. And, like, a guy coming off missing a month with a calf injury, you don't want that guy chasing Pascal Siakam around the floor. No. (laughs) And, I mean, and, and not only that, too, like, the Warriors' offense changes when Durant's in the game, right? And... Uh, that that's that's the big thing. I think it's part of the catalyst. I think to why people ask, are the Warriors better without KD? Of, of course they're not, but they are different. And the ball, it's a lot like it's what happens with superstars, right? Like the same thing happened with Kawhi and the Raptors this year. You know, the ball, it's different. The ball hums, swings around a lot more um, when Kawhi's not in the game. And Yes, superstars can learn to play within an offense, and I think the best ones do at some point. But they're they're also they're superstars. They're going to take isolation plays. They're gonna they're gonna do things like that. And in the playoffs, that's even more important. And yep. uh, we've seen that with Kawhi and how important that's been with him and the Raptors in the playoffs. And it's the same with KD. But if KD can't be KD and isn't healthy enough to do that, and their offense, you know, returns to that that style of every so often, you know, he's going to isolate on the wing or whatever, and he just isn't able to score. I mean, that's the big advantage the Warriors have in this series more than anything else is is their offense, their historical offense of just they have these all these great shooters and these guys who can score and, and create space and, and all this stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a good defensive team. They're not as good as the Raptors defensive, defensively. Uh, that So that's their main their main thing is is the offense. And if KD comes back and actually makes them worse on offense, uh I mean, I don't I don't know what you what you say there as 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 Steve Kerr or even as as a Warriors fan like what I don't know what you do there. Yeah, I've seen people suggest like KD can come back and even if he can't create in isolation, he can space the floor for them and be a shooter. But that's not Kevin Durant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, He's not, he's not going to be Harrison Barnes out there. I can't really see Kevin Durant being that happy, sitting, being on the floor for 35 minutes, just standing in the corner watching Steph Curry run pick and rolls with Draymond Green. And even if he is doing that, that's not fundamentally improving their offense. No. That's, that's better than having Andre Iguodala in the corner, but that's not like 
that doesn't change the way the Raptors have to defend them. Nope. And so, the I think like obviously the Warriors can. You know, nobody's saying the Warriors can't win this series or even that they shouldn't be favored. But they do have some things they have to figure out. And one of those things is how are they going to create more space on offense in the half court? Because if Fred Van Vliet is out there for 25, 30 minutes a night chasing Steph around, and like if the guy guarding Draymond in the pick and roll is cool. Kawhi or Siakam, and that's who he's dealing with on switches. Yeah. And you have Danny Green chasing Clay Thompson around. There is not going to be a lot of space. Nope. And that that equation just doesn't seem like it changes that much for me going forward in the series. And on the other hand, the Warriors play enough bad defenders that there's going to be space for the Raptors' offense to work. In Game 1, they clearly committed really hard to we're going to take away Kawhi's offense. And they did a great job of that. Yep. And Kawhi looked a little bit limited at times. But Kawhi's become a lot better at making that next pass when his game's taken away. Yeah, absolutely. And the drive and kick game for the Raptors, just there is so much space to operate in. At least there was in game one. Anytime a Raptors ball handler found a a seam into the middle of the court, there was an open shooter to pass to. And it wasn't like, like against the Bucks, they gave the Raptors guys who you could pass to for shoot for shots, but it was mostly like Mark Gasol or Pascal Siakam above the break. And those are shots that Gasol doesn't really always want to take. And Siakam's <laughs> not the best at. Yeah. Against the Warriors, it was Danny Green and it was like Kyle Lowry sometimes. Mm-hmm. And Fred Van Vliet had a lot of space too. Yeah. So, like, those are those are good options for the Raptors' offense. Those aren't the one. Those aren't the options that the defense wants to give you. And the Warriors, as long as Kevin Durant's not Kevin Durant, they have to play defenders that are going to give you that space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one. It's one of those things, right? Like, I mean, you never want to say that the Warriors, like, can't win a series the way they are. I think these Warriors can win the series the way they are right now. But I really do think, like, they it's not a guarantee unless they have KD and KD's healthy. Like, I, I, don't, I don't really see a path for them that way. The Raptors, even going into this series, and everyone has thought of them as underdogs, and rightly so, and all that, they, they, there is a clear path for how the Raptors win the series. There's certain things that they're very good at, and um, are will be able to adjust to, and um, there's there's a part of their you know there's parts of their game that just work well against the Warriors. This is the first team they get to play against, for example, that's not enormous. They should be able to control the boards at least a little better in in this series. Um, the Warriors have a penchant for turning the ball over. The Raptors love to get out and run. They were the best transition team this year, like stuff like that. Like there's a path for the Raptors to win this series. And if you want to be absolutely sure you're going to win, as a, you know, on the Warriors side, you need you need KD because all these things that you're mentioning and talking about, um, I'm it's it's going to be tough for the Warriors to 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 handle some of this stuff, you know. And there's there's adjustments they can make as well, obviously. But uh, look, the Raptors are they might be the toughest team they've played 
Yeah, and well, you know. Uh, I will say this though the the Warriors the clear path that I see for them is like what if Steph Curry is the best player in basketball for the, for four of the next six games and he could be absolutely because I mean Steph has that gear mm-hmm. and if if Steph just starts throwing up 30 35 footers ten times a night and hits you know four or five of them. I don't know how the Raptors. I don't know how any defense defends that if he just starts hitting everything. Yeah, and you and you gotta hope as a Raptors on the Raptors side of things as well that the Van Vliet is able to continue what he's doing. Like he's taking a lot of punishment on some of those screens. Like he's getting knocked around. Like he's he's really fighting through that stuff. And in game one, he was just like he was everywhere. But I mean, the, Curry was roasting every other Raptors player. Like it was just and, Van Vliet. Yeah, and like Looney and Drake. They set hard screens. Yeah, they do. Um, so I, it is going to be a good series. It's going to be a fun series. It, it's going to be tough, but like I, it's weird because the Raptors won Game One, and it still feels like all the pressures on the Warriors. Yeah, um, I mean, I I don't know how you feel about game two. Do you think the Raptors need like have to win game two? There's a lot of people saying that they have to win their both of their games at home. I I want to go back to like what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, like about the resiliency of this team. Yeah. Until this Raptors team is eliminated, I have a hard time saying they have to win any game because like when a team so clearly identifies itself as like we deal with adversity well, then how do you say that, you know, adversity is going to break them? They, the, I mean, the Bucks aren't the Warriors, but the Bucks also were like one of the best teams in the last decade of basketball this season. They had, you know, an incredible defense. They had an incredible offense. They're, through the first two rounds, they had an obscenely high net rating, and I don't know how you feel about Boston and, you know, I love to get the jokes off too, but Boston was a pretty good team this year. Yeah, they're fine. And, they're good. And, <laughs> and the, <laughs> the Bucks ran them off the court, and and they did that over and over again this season. They beat the hell out of teams, and then like the Raptors just never seemed beat by them. So even though they're not the Warriors, the Raptors just kind of like. They wrote a script against the Bucks that seemed to be impossible to write. So I, I think the only thing that would, would really make me rule out the Raptors in this series would be the Warriors winning four games. Yeah. And, and until then, I'll kind of say, like, this team might be able to find a pass. Could, could Kawhi just score 40 points for a couple straight games and find a way to get the Raptors back in the series? Yeah, he probably could. Yeah. So I mean I mean it's funny like um you know you talk about like adjustments and stuff too and even even just for like game 2 like you wonder after the results of game 1 how much do the Warriors stick to their game plan of just like taking trying to take everything away from Kawhi like cuz as soon as as soon as they move to say okay we're not going to just live with some of this other stuff now things open up for Kawhi a little bit right and then he starts you know you don't want him heating up so that's something well, else to keep an eye on as well. And and can't forget 
Andre Iguodala came up limping at the end of that game. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't look good. And if Durant's not playing or not healthy, and if Iguodala's not healthy as well, they pretty quickly run out of guys to slow down Kawhi. Yeah. I don't, it, like, Clay Thompson's a very good defender. I don't think he can slow down Kawhi. Yeah, he, he, he'd have a tough time. Kawhi's so strong. Yeah. So, and, and I don't think they want to put Draymond on Kawhi, because the moment you put Draymond on Kawhi, he can't be a help defender anywhere. He, well, even with Siakam, he's had that problem, right? Like, the Raptors were putting, like, having Siakam as the ball handler in the pick and roll just to have, like, Draymond up higher and, like, you know, keeping him close to the play at hand, like, so he couldn't just be free safety out there. Yeah, so, the, I don't, I don't know. I, I am really trying hard not to get ahead of myself. And that's, that has definitely been an issue for me in this playoff. Run because <laughs> as a Raptors fan, it's, it's really easy to take that hype to the level of, you know, we're, we're winning a title. I've tweeted about the Lowry title, which I, you know, I, I love the idea of. Yeah. But this Warriors team, they still won three championships in the last four years. They're in the finals for the fifth time. None of that is an accident. And two of those finals and one of those championships came without Kevin Durant. Yep. So you, you can't say it would be surprising to see the Warriors win the series in five games. But that's a tough path to see. Like, if you take that past, you know, yes, the Warriors can just wipe a team off the face of the court. You say, well, how can they do that? That's a lot harder to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm anxious to get to, to tomorrow night's game because the one thing that does concern me is that the Raptors might start slow because that has been an issue in the playoffs and – Coming back against the Bucks, coming back against the Sixers is one thing. Coming again, uh, back against the Warriors, if you let them get rolling, that's different. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. You can't let a team like that get rolling. Not in the finals. The, every single game in the finals, you have to you have to come out 100%. It's just, you have to. Um, but if if we get there, a game seven is in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, like like people like I've had a bunch of people tweeting at me and in my mentions saying, you know, repeatedly, we just gotta win the Raptors just need to win their home games. That's yep. it. So that's and they I mean, even going to Oracle, they wanted Oracle by twenty without Kawhi Leonard this they year. They did, yeah. And I think Oracle too, which I love the atmosphere in Oracle. I love watching it. I love the nickname, even Oracle is it's cool, it's funny. Um uh, but this year, it's different. It's just, whether it be the team or whatever, or some people have said the crowds aren't as hype, whatever. Whatever you want to say, um, the Ra- or the Warriors have been more vulnerable in, in at home than they've ever been in the playoffs this year. So, so I have one more question for you, because I know we're, we're running long on time here. Yeah. What would... Do you think the outcome of this series matters with regards to Kawhi's decision this summer? Um, I I think it matters in terms of uh, percentage likelihood. Like, I think it's more likely if the Raptors win a title, I do think it's more likely that he will resign. If they don't win a title... 
I still think it's pretty likely he'll resign. I just don't think it's as as likely if they win a title. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's fair. I, I just I've seen that question floating around a lot. I honestly don't know because like even if they don't win a title, when he sits down to make his decision this summer, there's still all of these other moments that are going to be in his mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this, I've been like a lot of, a lot of people have been saying this since the beginning, but I really do think the only reason he would leave at this point is because he wants to go home. And if Kawhi wants to go home and has always wanted to go home, then he wants to go home. There's nothing you can do about it. No, there's no, no other team in the NBA other than the Clippers or the Lakers that can offer that to him. So and the, you know, the Raptors did everything right. Absolutely, like, yeah, everything. So yeah, to me that that's that's it. At the end of the day, is like from the day they traded to him till now, the Raptors have done absolutely everything right in terms of how they've handled him. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And uh, if he does resign, then you know somebody's got to give Alex McCackney a raise. Like <laughs> and the. The funniest part there is that Alex McKechnie worked for the Lakers before the Raptors. <laughs> yep. So. Yeah. Um, all right. I think uh, I think we covered pretty much everything. We did go a little long, but it, it was it was good, man. We both uh, need to spill spill our feelings a little bit on this series and the the, the distance we've come from that Kawhi trade podcast to here. It's been it's, uh, it's been a journey, man. So yeah, I want to thank you for coming on again, Anthony. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been an emotional couple weeks, so it really, it really has. Um, it, yeah. Do you want to? Is there anything you want to plug before we before we go? Um. Well, I, the last thing I wrote was about the Raptors' identity, and we talked a lot about that on this podcast. That was up on Raptors Republic tomorrow night for Game Two. I am doing the quick reaction on Raptors Republic. I'm always active on Twitter, and I'm sure I'll be writing a lot about the rest of this series and the summer and the decisions that are going to be made regardless of which way they go. So uh, just looking forward to that and look for me on Raptors Republic and on Twitter at Anthony SM Doyle. Awesome. Yes. Go follow Anthony. His uh, Raptors tweets are the best. So much fun. He's one of the best follows on Raptors Twitter. Um, if you're looking for this podcast, it's called the writer's right podcast. Uh, you can find it on anchor.fm or the anchor app. If you have it, and it's also on Apple Podcasts, which I know most of you listen to it on there, so you can find it there. Um, Writers Right does have a Twitter. It's at Writers Right Pod, where links to the episodes will be posted, and usually uh, links to guest articles as well when that happens. Um, I do want to say that this podcast is going to be returning to its normal format soon. I am bringing this podcast back soon. I'm very excited to bring it back. I'm going to have a bunch of guests lined up. It's going to be awesome. Um, there's just there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that I'm working on to make it happen, but it is going to be coming back full time. So um, until then, I'm glad that we can kind of do these, uh, you know, break out of hiatus pods that that uh, that we've been doing. So um, yeah, I just wanted to make that little announcement. And uh, as for me, um, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter. I uh, can find all my silly uh, tweets there, and my online written work also appears at Raptors Republic. You can find that there. And uh, I want to just thank you for listening, and uh, the pod will be back soon. Go Raptors!